ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll be looking this morning at verse 1 through 3. We're beginning this morning a series in 2 Peter chapter 2, which is an extended warning to us against false teachers, and by extension, false brothers and false churches in our midst. But Peter's point is to focus our attention on false teachers. And one of the reasons why we just read from Jeremiah chapter 28 is because it illustrates to us Hananiah, the false prophet, it illustrates to us his swift destruction, and we'll be looking at that next week, but it also shows us the heart of the matter when it comes to false teachers. And the heart of the matter is that Hananiah was teaching the people rebellion against the Lord. And this is how we spot false teachers, false teachers the distinguishing mark or their real danger, we might put it that way, is that they are always seeking to draw us away from the Lord our God, from our trust in Him and our love for Him. And so here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1-3, through 3, Peter is telling us that there are false teachers, there will be false teachers in the church. It is a real and a present danger And we must be wary of them. We must be alert and on our guard against them. Because if we fail to be wary of them or to be aware of them, it can lead, in fact it will lead, to ruinous, devastating, and swift destruction in the life even of the believer. Not just of the false teacher. The point that Peter's making in uh, in chapter 2 where he speaks about the swiftness of the destruction of the false teachers is to warn us to get to be on guard against them and not get swept up in their destruction. And so we have been in a series in 2 Peter on growth in the Christian life. Let's put chapter 2 into its context somewhat. 2 Peter is all about growth in the Christian life. We've been in chapter 1. We finished chapter 1 last week. Peter has made essentially two broad points in chapter 1. And the first point that Peter makes there is vital to growth in the Christian life is the diligent pursuit of sanctification Not in our own strength, but in the strength that God provides, especially in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Vital to the Christian life, vital to growth in the Christian life is the diligent pursuit of sanctification. The second broad point that Peter has made in chapter 1 is that vital to growth in the Christian life is to be reminded and able to recall at any time the the Word of God, the truth of the Scriptures. Because God in His Scriptures communicates to us what we need for the diligent Christian life. He communicates to us through the Scriptures, Christ, Christ's power, and Christ's coming, and Christ's majesty. And it's through the Scriptures that God enables us to grow in the Christian life. And those are the two points that we've made. And now we're coming into chapter 2, and Peter's warning us, and he's telling us, look, there are some real dangers in the Christian life, and we have to be aware of them. It's absolutely essential that we're aware of them. It is possible for a Christian to be led astray, Peter is telling us. It's possible for a Christian to lose their own stability. It's possible for a Christian to bring ruinous destruction upon themselves and their family and their life if they're not careful to guard their hearts against false teachers and false brothers and false churches and false doctrine. This is a real and a present danger. And so it might be helpful for us this morning to get started as we begin to think about chapter 2 to understand the tone that Peter's taking with us this morning. In many ways, he's taking the tone of a parent with a child. All of those who are here this morning who are parents, who have children, you know what this is like as you raise up your children many times in their life. 
One of your roles and responsibilities is to have a serious heart-to-heart discussion with your children and to get down into their face and, so to speak, very kindly and gently, but nevertheless very seriously and soberly and tell them life's filled with dangers. And you can't be presumptuous. You have to be aware of these dangers. Maybe we think of the example of the young mother and the young child and we want to warn them about strangers. And we, and we warn our children not to take candy from strangers. And we have to warn our little children. We have to tell them there's bad people in the world. We would like to think that it's all hunky-dory and wonderful, but it's not. There's real dangers out there. Don't take candy from strangers. And we all know that there's real horror stories. But the reason we tell our children this is because it really does happen that little children take candy from strangers. And they end up bringing ruinous destruction into their life. Terrible consequences. Lifelong. Sometimes life-threatening consequences into their life. We're all aware of the the extreme stories where that child doesn't come back. He's never found or she's never found. And one of our responsibilities is to warn our children of these real dangers. Peter's talking to us on that level in 2 Peter chapter 2. We think of maybe our children as they grow up. And the father, he has to have the discussion with his daughter. Say, there's sinners out there. They're going to entice you. You have to learn to say no to boys. (laughs) You have to tell no. And we all know the story of the girls, or even the boys. The the fathers will tell their boys, you've got to learn to say no to those bad girls, those sinners that will entice you away. And we all know the horror stories of the young children who don't heed the advice of their parents. And they bring destruction. They bring ruin in their life. Lasting consequences in their life. And Peter's speaking to us in 2 Peter chapter 2 and saying as believers, you have to be aware, and Christ warned us to be aware of the fact there are false teachers, there are bad people, there are false brothers, and you are in danger of getting caught up in their destruction. You can see Peter referenced this at the end of chapter 3. Turn with me really quickly just over to chapter 3, verse 17, verse 18. We've said those last two verses of the book are where Peter's communicating his main idea in this book. He speaks to us very boldly here. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care. Be wary. We could translate that, watch out. Be on your guard that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Take care. Be on guard. Be wary. This moves us, this drives us back to the Lord our God to trust in Him. Because we know we can't rely on ourselves. Again, I think the illustration is helpful for us. Even when we speak to the little child, we comfort them, don't we? And Peter's going to comfort us in chapter 2. He's going to remind us that God knows how to rescue us from the ungodly. And he's going to embrace us, as it were, in his arms and say, look, I've warned you about this, but I love you and I'm watching out for you. But you still have to be careful. You still have to be alert. And so I hope that this is helpful for you this morning to drive you back to the Lord your God, to trust in Him and to rest in Him, and to pray to Him, and to cry out to Him night and day for His help, and His protection, and His preserving grace in your life. So let's look at our text. 
Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. He's going to tell us a couple of things here about false teachers. This is where we're going to get started. Our main emphasis this morning is to focus on the existence of false teachers and their nature. We'll talk a little bit about the way of false teachers. We'll talk a little bit about the consequences that they can bring. But you can see all of this here in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people. Now we've said that Peter's mind here in chapter 1, especially at the end of chapter 1, he's in the Old Testament. He's especially in the book of Deuteronomy. And you can see that's evidenced here in verse 1. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. The idea being teaching that will destroy your soul. Even denying the Master who bought them, even denying God, His sovereignty, His existence, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. And so we want to begin this morning with this simple statement that Peter makes, that false teachers will be among you. Just as there were false prophets among the people in the Old Testament, so there will be false teachers among you. The New Testament tells us this fact and warns us of this. Jesus warns us of this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 11. He says, many prophets, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That's a real and a present danger. The idea is that we need to be alert and be careful lest it be we who are led astray. You must be careful, lest it be you who is led astray. Mark chapter 13, verse 22 to 23. Jesus says this, For false Christ and false prophets will arise. He's warning us of this. And they will perform signs and wonders. They will seem believable. They will seem enticing to the believer. They will lead astray, if possible, He says, even the elect. This is a danger that we must be aware of. So verse 23, he commands us, be on guard. I have told you beforehand, I've warned you, be wary. The apostles pick up this same idea. Acts chapter 20, verse 29 through 31. As Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders, he's been ministering among the Ephesians and he's departing and he's speaking final words to the elders of Ephesus. And he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, false teachers, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. There's a real and a present danger. He says, be alert. Remember who Paul's speaking to there. He's speaking to the Ephesian church. And if you remember anything about Ephesus and the church in Ephesus, they were doctrinally sound. These were people who knew the truth. They were commended for their doctrinal purity and integrity. And Paul is warning them and saying, even you are not uh, exempt from this danger of false teachers 
who may even arise among your own, he says. Watch out and be careful. As Paul is speaking to Timothy, warning Timothy as a minister of the, of the gospel, he gives him the same kind of warning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1-6. through But understand this, he says, that in the last days, now again, you understand that when Paul says the last days, he doesn't mean the end of the world. <laughs> he, means the, the, he means today. He means the church today. The whole New Testament era is the last days. That's a wonderful idea. It's a rabbit trail from my sermon, but I'm going to dwell on it for just a moment so that we're all clear. When Paul says the last days, he's not talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the current reality that you live now. Sometimes believers miss this point or they forget this point, or they haven't been taught this point. But brothers and sisters, you and I are living the Old Testament eschatological dream. (laughs) Christ has come. He has won victory over death. He sits at the Father's right hand. You have the right of sonship. You have justification. You have the Spirit of God, the promise to the Father's poured out upon you. It's the last days. And we're even waiting for a greater paradise in the world to come. It's a wonderful concept, so I just wanted to insert that for just a moment. So, but, but Paul, when he speaks about this, he's talking about in this current situation, even with all of these blessings, even with all of this wonderful glory that Christ brings to us in the Gospel, understand this, he says to Timothy, as a minister of God, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. So these people that he's talking about aren't there in the world. He just described people in the church. He's describing teachers in the church. The appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Be careful about them. Be aware of them. Be on guard against them is what he means there. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Now, if you're following me so far, this message is a dark message. It's a serious, sobering message. It's a hard message. It's a very hard message to preach, I'll tell you that. I can imagine it's a hard message to hear and to listen to. It sounds very dark. It sounds very dim. But we need to be aware of this. Again, we're like children in God's hands. The world is filled with bad people. The church will be filled with bad people. He's warning us. You've got to be on guard against this. You've got to be careful. Let me say just a few things here. Of course, the idea is that God is drawing us to put our trust in Him. As bad as these people are, our Lord knows us. He sees us. He cares for us. We're in His hands. Peter's going to make that point. He knows how to rescue us from these ungodly people. But let me warn you about something else just real quick. I'll probably repeat this today. I'll probably repeat it throughout the series. I don't know exactly where to put it, so I'm going to put it here. You've got to be careful about something, brothers and sisters. The whole message that Peter's preaching to us, that Paul's preaching to us, that Christ is preaching to us, he's not 
His intention is not to turn us into suspicious Christians. His purpose is not to turn us into heresy hunters, as many have said. His purpose is not to turn us into spec finders, to be looking out, say, who is the false teacher among us? Who is the false brother among us? That's not the idea here. He's simply warning us of the fact that it is a reality that we must be on guard against. The real idea of 2 Peter chapter 2 is that we have to be on guard against our own hearts. Because there's a sense in which this warning about false teachers exposes us for who we really are before God in our sin, who we are left to ourselves. The question we have to ask ourselves is why do we need to be warned about adulterers? And why do we need to be warned about the rebellious? And why do we need to be warned about these who are greedy? Well, the truth of the matter is, and it's sad and it grieves us, is because those sins still remain in us and they're enticing to us. And so there's a sense in which God, through warning us of these false teachers, is exposing us for who we really are. I like to use the illustration of being put on an altar and cut open when the Holy Spirit brings His conviction upon us and He exposes all the sins. It's like being cut open. All the sins are exposed. There's a sense in which that's going on in 2 Peter chapter 2. It's a heavy passage. There's a lot of gold here. There's a lot of good things here. But it's a serious message, it's a weighty message, and it's one that we absolutely need to hear. And in a sense, it's confronting us in our own sinfulness. So let's be careful. Let's not become heresy hunters. That's not the idea here. But let's be aware, and let's not be surprised when we find them, when they arise, when they come up even in our own midst. And let's guard our hearts And so that's what Peter is saying in this passage. He's telling us there will be false teachers. He says that they're like Old Testament false prophets. So we're going to turn back into the Old Testament. We're going to see the comparison that Peter is making. Now, Peter's main idea here is he's rooted in Deuteronomy 13, but don't go there. We're going to look at other passages before we get to Deuteronomy 13, where he brings out the principle of the whole matter in Deuteronomy 13. But first of all, let's just let's look at the survey, some Old Testament passages, Old Testament passages that speak to us about Old Testament prophets and get a sense of what we're looking at here in these false teachers and the kind of danger that they present to us. Let's look at their nature. So first of all, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22. I'm going to read to you the story of Ahab and Micaiah and the false prophets that were before Ahab. And we'll look at this, and this will be helpful to us. Now, there's many, many places we could go in the Old Testament. Of course, we're not going to be exhaustive this morning. That's not our intention. But we're going to do a little survey here and get a sense. Peter directs us to the Old Testament. He says, if you want to know what a false teacher is all about, they're just like the Old Testament false prophets. Well, you remember the whole context here in 1 Kings chapter 22. You remember Ahab was the wicked king of Israel. He was a worshiper of Baal. He did not obey the Lord his God. He's friends with the king of Judah, the godly king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. And in this particular context, Ahab has seen a plot of land in Ramoth-Gilead, and he wants that plot of land. He desires it for himself, and it's owned by a foreign king. So he's going to go to war. He's going to get this plot of land. And he calls up his buddy, Jehoshaphat, and he says, Hey, come up with me, and we'll go to war, and we'll take this plot of land. And Jehoshaphat says, Yeah, okay, that sounds good. We'll go. And that's the context here. And Jehoshaphat said to the king, verse 5, 1 Kings 22, verse 5, And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. 
Now here's the godly king saying, wait a second, Ahab, aren't we forgetting something? Shouldn't we ask God what his will is before we just go and try to take this piece of land? And so Ahab yields to Jehoshaphat's request. Verse 6, Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Now here's the false prophecy. The idea of what's going on here is that these prophets are resting and they're presuming upon the promises of God in the Old Testament. God had promised that he would be with the kings of Israel. He had promised he would fight their battles for them. He had made all these promises that would lead these prophets to the conclusion that if Ahab wants to go uh, fight against the Syrians and to fight for this plot of land in Ramoth-Gilead, then uh, God will prosper him if he goes. And so they're prophesying. But what I want you to see here, what they're doing, what their error is, they're taking the promises of God and they're applying it to Ahab without any concern for his devotion to God, his belief or trust in God, or his obedience to the Lord. And they're taking the promises of God and they're applying it to Ahab in order to encourage Ahab in the indulgence of his own desires and his own lusts. This is what makes them false. Their falseness is not trusting on the promises of God, of course, or even proclaiming the promises of God. It's in the way that they apply it to Ahab particularly. And so I just wanted you to see that for a moment. And then verse 7, But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? So the idea here in the narrative is that Jehoshaphat can sense that these false prophets are not prophesying very truthfully. And the godly king Jehoshaphat uh, at least interjects here and says, can we find another prophet? Now, this gets interesting in verse 8. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him. (laughs) Very honest man. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah the son of Chenaniah made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. The thing to notice there is the way that he speaks in the name of the Lord. He speaks with authority. He speaks with boldness. He speaks with power. He says, Thus says the Lord. He comes with signs. He has the yokes. He seems legitimate. Go and do this and you'll conquer the land and you will have Ramoth-Gilead. We'll look at verse 13 and let's follow this story through even further. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. 
And when he had came to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Now, the prophet's not being deceitful here at this point. He's telling the truth. God has promised victory to those who trust in him. That's his assumption. So he starts there. And what he's doing is he's drawing Ahab in to his message. And that's his technique. And so the king says to him, tell me the whole truth. So verse 17, the prophet says, Micaiah says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master, let each return to his home in peace. In other words, Micaiah prophesies that if Ahab goes up to battle, he will not succeed. He will in fact die in the battle. He will not live to return to Samaria, to Israel. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Now I want you to notice what Ahab is saying here. This is the second time that he's asserted this, that Micaiah is going to prophesy to him evil and not good. But brothers and sisters, listen to what Micaiah has said to him. The word of the Lord to Ahab is, if you go to Ramoth-Gilead, you're going to die. What is the will of the Lord for Ahab? That he lives. And yet Ahab sees nothing but evil in it. He sees nothing but ill intent on God's part in his life or in the part of the prophet. Ahab is so consumed with his own lust and his own desire that he despises the word of the warning. He despises the word of the prophet. And I bring this out to you this morning because we need to be careful that we don't despise the word of the warning that Peter's giving us about false teachers. The warning is here for our benefit, for our well-being, so that we might live. It's a mercy and grace of God. It's a communication of His kindness to us. But notice what he says here then. Let's continue on. Verse 16, and the king said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster upon you. Again, this is the goodness and faithfulness of God to Ahab. And Ahab despises the message. And the false prophets despise the message. And they make little of it. We get an illustration here of how false teachers work in the church. (laughs) They don't recognize. There's no faith. And they don't encourage faith in the people of God to trust the word of the Lord, the word of the warnings especially, how good they are for us. God uh, God has given Ahab a vision in heaven that says, the Lord is warning you that you're going to die if you go to Ramoth Gilead. Turn and live. Ahab has no faith. 
He doesn't trust in the Lord his God. He despises the word of the prophets. He he counts evil what is good. He counts the warning as something to be ignored and despised. And he does so because he loves his lust. But here's the, here's the message that we get then from 1 Kings 22. We get, there's lots to say there. We can't say everything. But false prophets in the Old Testament twist God's promises into excuses for personal indulgences. And they lead astray those who are vulnerable in their faith in God's goodness. Let us not be like Ahab and despise the warnings about the false teachers. They are there for our good. They are there so that we might live. Our God is a merciful God. He's a faithful God when He comes and warns us of the truth. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 8. We'll be in Jeremiah for a while. We'll be looking at a couple of passages. As we think about Old Testament false prophets, not only do they misapply God's promises or twist God's promises, their priority is anything but your personal trust in the Lord your God. Their whole mode of operation, their whole goal is to draw you away from the Lord. In many ways, that's what we saw with the false prophets before Ahab, fundamentally. They were preaching a message that supported Ahab in his own desires, rather than warning him of the need for repentance and trust in the Lord. But Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 8, their priority is anything but personal trust in the Lord. Jeremiah is bringing an indictment against the false teachers, or the false prophets, the false priests. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Their concern wasn't God, their concern wasn't His truth. Those who handled the law did not know me. And they weren't concerned to lead the people to know the Lord. The shepherds transgressed against me, and they led the people to transgress against the Lord. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. They prophesied in the name of the Lord, but their message was the message of Baal, is the idea that Jeremiah is speaking here. God is in none of their thoughts. Their whole purpose is to lead the people away from the Lord their God, into any idol, into any pleasure, into any sin, to put their focus and their attention on anything but the Lord. False teachers from Jeremiah 5, verse 31 are incredibly appealing, especially to the people of God. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction, that they, their own way. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? Again, it exposes us. As I've mentioned to you already, the reason why they're so enticing is because sin still dwells in our hearts. And these false teachers and the things that they present before us are things that are enticing to us. We've got to be careful. We have to be on guard. We have to watch out. We love to have it this way. It's who we are. It's our nature. It's the sin that still remains in us. Jeremiah 23, verse 16 through 17. The Old Testament false prophets refused to confront sinners. Again, we've seen this illustrated from the first Kings narrative. But here we see it again in Jeremiah 23, 16 through 17. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. Now, you've got to be careful. There's a lot of Christians who read that passage and then they fail to give any hope. (laughs) They fall into the other ditch. The vain hopes is what the false teachers preach. They speak visions of their own minds, it says, not from the mouth of the Lord. They fill the people with an empty, baseless hope. They say continually in verse 17, to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. Now again, brothers, the message of God is it will be well with you if you're in Christ Jesus. For those who believe in Him, who've repented and believed in Christ Jesus, the message of the Bible is you have true hope. And it will go well with you. It's well with your soul. But the falseness of the false prophets is they give this message indiscriminately. They give it to those who despise the Word of the Lord. There's no repentance. There's no real faith. They misapply the promises of God. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. There's no warnings in the message of the false prophets. There's no confrontation. They never deal with sin. You don't have to turn there. Jeremiah 6.14 says something very similar to that. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And so they haven't gotten to the heart of the issue. They haven't dealt with the real problem, which is sin. And yet they've declared the solution. They've declared the message of healing, peace, peace. But they've failed to expose the sin They've healed the people lightly is the illustration. It's a beautiful illustration, very effective for us. Jeremiah 14, verse 15. The Old Testament prophets experienced the condemnation they refused to warn others about. And this is comforting to us. Jeremiah 14, verse 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, although I did not send them, and who say, sword and famine shall not come upon this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall be consumed. But the message that Peter's preaching to us in chapter 2 is, don't get caught up in their consumption. (laughs) Don't follow them. Turn with me to Micah chapter 3. The effect, the actions and the prophet, these false prophecies... I'm sorry, these false prophets have a real influence, negative influence on the people of God and on their souls. Micah chapter 3, verse 9. Here, Micah is addressing the false teachers, the false leaders. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgments for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. But look at verse 12. Therefore, because of you, he's addressing there those false prophets, Zion shall be plowed as a field, 
Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Destruction, not only on the false teachers, but on those who are influenced by them and who listen to them and who follow along with them. In the Old Testament, false teachers are unholy. They are unrepentant in their sins. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 4, her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. They are wavering. They are unholy. They are in sin and they do not repent. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. They are unholy lawbreakers. But now turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13. And we'll get to the principle of the matter. In all these warnings, we can spot false teachers. We can see something about their nature. But in Deuteronomy 13, which I think principally is what Peter's referring to here when he's comparing New Testament false teachers to Old Testament false prophets. And in the Old Testament, all of the false prophets and the warnings about them and so on are rooted that the cornerstone of the teaching in the Old Testament about false prophets is Deuteronomy 13. And here's how Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. Now remember, Moses is speaking to the nation. He's speaking speaking to them about how to deal with false prophets in the nation. He's speaking to them about civil laws in the Old Testament nation concerning false prophets and false brothers and false cities. And remember that when Christ came, he reconstituted the nation. And it's no longer a civil nation. It's no longer an earthly nation. It's no longer an earthly government. Since Christ has come, Israel has been reconstituted under the new covenant into a spiritual kingdom, into the church. So we can't make one-to-one application, but we can draw from Deuteronomy chapter 13 general principles that help us to understand how we are in our hearts to respond to false teachers and false prophets. So here's what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. He's teaching you. He's proving your faith. Now, I'm just going to pause here for a minute, and I want you to notice that what Moses is saying is there will be false prophets. They will have signs and wonders. They will appear to be true prophets. They will appear to be sent in the name of the Lord. They'll speak in the name of the Lord, but you can detect them, he's saying, and you can know them and you can spot them because ultimately their message is to draw you away from the Lord your God. And there's insight here that Moses is giving us because what he's teaching us here is that one of the reasons why God allows false teachers into the church and false brothers into the church and false churches to rise around us is, in fact, to prove our faith, to test us, to prove our sincerity, to prove our trust and our love for the Lord our God. And so there's a sense here in which this message is exhorting us, it's calling us to be aware of this so that we might ever stay true to the Lord our God and to hear nothing that would lead us away from Him. So he says again in verse 3, you shall not listen to the words 
of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. To prove the sincerity of your faith is the idea that Moses is communicating there. Verse 4, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice. And you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. He's seeking to draw you away from devotion and trust and wholehearted dependence and love for the Lord your God in your obedience to Him and in your faith in Him. He has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. We must be wary. We must be careful. To an extent, the application here is if we spot them in the church and they're found out, we must practice discipline against them. But he goes on, he doesn't just speak about false prophets. In this same context, he extends the application here. This is why this is so helpful in Deuteronomy 13, verse, uh, verse 8. No, I'm sorry, verse 6. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the people who are around you, whether near or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. Again, through Moses, we can hear our Father's voice. I love you. You've got to be careful. You've got to be on alert. There are dangerous people out there. Keep your eyes on me. Stay near to me. Hold fast to me. He goes on in verse 12 to extend this application to the cities that were around them. In the New Testament, we could apply this to the churches that are around us. If you hear in one of your cities which the Lord your God has given you to dwell there, that certain worthless fellows have gone out among you and have drawn away the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known, then you shall inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be true and certain that such an abomination has been done among you, you shall surely put the inhabitants of that city to the sword, devoting it to destruction. All who are in it and its cattle with the edge of the sword, you shall gather all its spoil into the midst of its open square and burn the city and all its spoil with fire as whole burnt offerings to the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. None of the devoted things shall stick to your hand, that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of His anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you and multiply you as He swore to your fathers. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping all His commandments that I'm commanding you today and doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. Now, the application of this passage is not we go burn down churches that were false teachers are teaching or false churches. Of course not. But there's an intensity here that Moses is calling us to 
to not lay our hand on their teachings, on their devoted things. There's principles here that we can take with us to learn to fear the Lord our God and to keep His commandments and to be true to Him. That's what He's calling us to do. Be careful, brothers. There are those who are out there. There are false teachers, false brothers, false communities, false, false, false churches, first de- false denominations that are there, a real and present danger to suck you in and entice you and to draw your heart away from the Lord your God. And the Lord calls you today to trust in Him and to hold fast to Him and to rest in Him. So Peter warns us, as there were false prophets among the people, there will be false teachers among you. God has sent them to test you, to teach you, to draw you near to Himself. He's come to warn you so that you might live and that you might put your trust in Him and rest in Him. Well, let's look at what Peter says here in the rest of these three verses, a little bit of the way of New Testament false teachers. We're just going to notice a few things here somewhat briefly. Again, look at verse 1 and three, or one through 3 in chapter 2 of 2 Peter. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. There's about four things that we can draw out from these three verses. First of all, they will come in secretly, or they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. The idea is that they will twist or pervert the essential gospel. Jude puts it like this in Jude verse 4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what Jude is saying is that there's going to be those who come into the church and you can boil all their false teaching down into licentiousness. They're going to twist and pervert the gospel of grace into an excuse for committing sin and for indulging your own pleasures and your own lust. This is a a great danger, especially for Reformed Baptists, because we love our Christian liberty, and it's easy to misunderstand the doctrine of Christian liberty. So I warn you, brothers, against abusing the doctrine of Christian liberty. And I warn you about teachers who would lead you down the path of abusing the doctrine of Christian liberty. The doctrine of Christian liberty does not give you license to do whatever you want. You're no different than Ahab. The doctrine of Christian liberty liberates you with a heart of faith and love and devotion to Jesus Christ to to follow Him and to seek after Him and to do His will. But Jude warns us here, there are those who are going to come in. We can think in the modern day that we live in, prosperity gospel. They are the classic textbook example in our day of the violation of Jude 4. Those who pervert the gospel and turn it into sensuality. They teach a message of victory. They teach a message of, of glory. They teach a message of prosperity and grace. And they do. They do a very good job of it. But then they apply it so that you might indulge your lusts. 
to turn your eyes to the things of this world and to live life your own way. They're deceivers. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 4, you have yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might again bring us into slavery. What Paul is speaking of here is the false teaching of legalism. We can think of Judaism or extreme forms of fundamentalism in our own day as textbooks, examples of the things that we're to be in guard against. Those who would turn us into legalists, moralists, Bring us back into bondage of the letter of the law when Christ has taught us the wonderful liberty of the Spirit of the law and the fruits of the Spirit and the grace that Christ brings to us in the Gospel. Peter himself in our context says destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them. There are those out there who will even destroy the doctrine of God. In church history, classic textbooks, examples of this, the Gnostics, the Arians, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. They teach a false doctrine. They call themselves Christians. Those are easy examples. There are more subtle forms of all of these things, but these are to help us to get our, our head around the idea. They deny the doctrine of God. They either deny that there is a God, or they so twist Him that He's unrecognizable from the God of the Scriptures, or they deny the divinity, especially of the Son. You see that with the Arians and the Jehovah's Witnesses. They teach a false doctrine. They In some cases, it can be so extreme that they deny the master who bought them. They deny their sovereign God. Peter says here that they'll come in secretly. Paul had mentioned secretly. Jude had mentioned secretly. This carries two ideas. First, it will be sudden. You won't see it coming. It'll be secretly. They'll suddenly arise, even in your own midst. You'll be able to spot them very easily, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 9. But it'll be secret, it'll be sudden when they come on the scene. When he says secretly, he's also indicating that there's a kind of intentionality here. These teachers are purposeful in what they're doing. They will come, they will hide, they will hide under the cover of the teaching of the church, and then they'll arise And they've been planning it and plotting it the whole time specifically to draw your heart away from your God. And we have to remember how true evil works in the hearts of man to fully grasp that. They're not sincere people. They're not mistaken people. They are intentional in many cases, like what we see with Galatians. They came in, they spied out freedom in order to bring in Judaism and legalism. So first, they will bring in secretly destructive heresies. Second, many will follow their sensuality. That's what he says in verse 2. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Sensuality, of course, means the love of pleasure and the things of this life and the things of this world and license to do whatever uh, a person wants to do. Be warned of falling into the trap. But the point I want to bring out to you is that they are enticing. They are easy to follow. You will want to follow them. You think to yourself, oh, I'll never do that. I'm a good Reformed Baptist. I have the confession of faith. Peter is saying that's not going to cut it. You're still a sinner. You still have these things dwelling in your own heart. These men are clever. They're intelligent. They're going to draw you away. Many will follow them. Don't be discouraged when you see it. Don't be surprised by it. Peter's warning us here. 
They will cause others to reject Christianity. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. The idea is that because of their teaching, there will be those who don't understand the difference between a Mormon and a Reformed Baptist. We think, that it, we think it's so obvious, but of course in the world it's not that way. And they'll group all of us right in together and you'll get caught up and you'll hear people talk to you. Maybe you have heard people talk to you at school or at work. We say, oh, you're a Christian. Well, I know all about Christianity. I have Mormon friends. And I know what you guys teach and how you're involved with polygamy. And that, that infamy will come upon your own head. But Peter's warning you. He's saying, don't be surprised by this. This is how they operate. Many will follow them. The way of truth will be blasphemed. It's grievous. It's discouraging. It's sorrowful in our hearts. But Peter is saying, don't be surprised by it. He's warning us so that we're not caught off guard. And then finally, they'll take advantage of you. And I think that that speaks for itself. And then finally, Peter warns us of the consequences. Again, look at verse 1 and 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And in verse 3, And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. Again, the idea, brothers and sisters, is that if you're not wary of them, you'll get caught up in the storm. The terrible consequences that they're bringing upon themselves and their hearers, you will be a part of if you let your heart go astray. Now, Peter here is not teaching us that it's possible to lose our salvation, but he is reminding us that in the Christian life, terrible consequences can come. And we think again of the illustration that I started the sermon with. We think of those horror stories. They really do happen. There is the the child who takes the candy. And maybe he is found, but he's scarred. And there there are the teenagers who don't listen to their parents. And they fall into the enticement of sinners. And it scars them. Real, real consequences, Peter is saying. Swift destruction, devastation, destructive heresies. We must be on guard. We must be on watch. Now this isn't to scare us. But it is to drive us to alertness. The doctrine today is, the application of it is to be alarmed, but not afraid, and to be watchful, but not (laughs) self-reliant. We must be alarmed, but we must remember that our God watches over us. He knows how to rescue the godly, and uh, we must be on our guard, but not self-reliant. The Lord knows how to rescue us from the hands of these wicked and evil deceivers, these wicked and evil brothers and teachers. If you're in Christ, let's wrap up this sermon very quickly. The message today is a call to doctrinal and practical maturity. You must understand and know sound doctrine, and you must have your eyes peeled and awake and aware and open to the fact that there are those who will seek to lead you astray from it. You must understand sound practice. And just to keep it simple for you, as a point of application... Sound orthodoxy teaches that God has come in the flesh to save us from our sins. And sound practice 
is so that we might love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. Anything other than this, self-sacrificing love, anything other than this is false. It's a deception. Now, there's a lot more we can say under that heading. To those who are outside of Christ, let me address you momentarily. You are in the gravest danger. If God speaks this way to his own people and says, watch out for the destruction that's coming upon the false teachers. Where are you if you're outside of Christ? If you're apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, you are completely lost. You are alienated from God. You have no heavenly Father to warn you and to protect you and to rescue you from the ungodly. When the, when the judgment comes to sweep away the false teachers, God's judgment will sweep away you also. But I hope that in the message today you've seen that God's purpose is to draw you near to Himself. That's the message. The warning to His people is to draw them near to Himself. If you're here today, God promises you that if you repent of your sins and you trust in Him, He will be your Father. He will be your protector from the judgment that's coming upon the false teachers. So put your trust in Him and believe in Him. And brothers, let us all trust in Him and let us hold fast to Him as we watch out for the real and present danger of false teachers in the church. Well, next week, we'll look at the destruction that's coming upon them, the swift destruction that's not idle and that's not asleep. We have a number of examples from the Old Testament on it.